Welcome to Unboxing Logistics, the awesome podcast from Easy Post. I'm Lori Boyer, I'm your host here, and I am just absolutely privileged to be able to talk to a variety of experts here in the logistics industry. We cover all the topics that you could imagine, such a cool and complex industry, and today is absolutely no different. We are going to be diving into the world of robotics. So cool, so futuristic, and as my guest today, I have brought on the ultimate guru of robotics, Jonathan Briggs. Jonathan, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Wow, I mean, what a what an intro! I don't, I feel like I'm gonna it's all downhill after this, but uh, <laughs> what a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, uh, Jonathan Briggs. I'm vice president of sales and solutions at Nimble and. Um, Nimble is in the process of rebranding to Nimble Autonomous Industries or shortening that to Nimble AI. Um, just to, just to educate the, the viewers in the new year and um, a little bit from my background perspective is I, I have kind of three sectors in, in my career, small package and parcel transportation, e-commerce fulfillment, robotics and Nimble. I roll all of my life's experience up in, under one as I oversee our sales and solutions and really what that encompasses is our, you know, obviously selling our solutions and then developing our solutions. And I oversee product for our technology that customers face with and our transportation strategy. So that's a little bit about who I am and hopefully I can live up to that warm introduction you gave me. Oh, you're going to do awesome. We're going to talk today, everybody, really glad you're here because we're going to talk about kind of robotics. It's beginnings. It's, you know, where we're at, the state of robotics, the whole evolution, and what the future is looking like for robotics. Whether you are a small business and barely even tinkering with the idea of robotics to if you are the most massive unit out there and want to go fully remote, you're like, I don't want to see another human face again. <laughs> we're going to talk about what that means for you, uh, what that looks like in the industry. So really exciting, really fun, interesting topic. But... As always, before we get going, we one of my favorite segments, and I know our community just really loves it too, Jonathan, is getting to know our cohort here in the industry. It has been super fascinating to learn about all the different people here in the logistics industry. So Jonathan, in season two, we're in our second season here at Unboxing Logistics. In season two, I am asking all of my guests two simple questions, and so I'm going to do the same with you. The first question is, tell us what you were like in high school. Wow. Um, uh, very different than, uh, than what I am today. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, from a physical standpoint, probably 100 pounds less than I am today. So <laughs> I think that. that's all of us. So, yeah, yeah that's good. There, there's definitely that. Um, you, you know, but I, I, don't, I don't know that I deviated all that much. I, you know, I was fortunate enough to um, accidentally start my career in high school as what I thought was a summer job and loading and unloading trucks at UPS. And here I am uh, 20 some years later, I'm still in some form or fashion logistics. So, um, you know, I, I started this journey when I was in high school, so I haven't deviated all that much. Wow, that's amazing. So if you won the lottery today, how would your life look different? Well, I probably would not be working in robotics anymore. Um, I would probably coach middle school or high school sports 
most likely basketball. Interesting. Yeah, I. Uh, uh, interesting how you dove right into middle school sports. That's just crazy, Jonathan. My kids are middle school, and they're going to be in seventh grade next year. So I would coach my kids. Basically, was the the moral of that that story. Um, nice. I got roped into this thing a couple years ago. Um, had had two of my my sons make basketball team. And they got put on two different teams because there's a little bit of different of a skill set. Mm-hmm. And the the lesser uh, of abilities guy, they didn't have a coach. And so I'm like, you know what? I'll step up uh, and do it. And you want to talk about using technology. I, my second year, I invested in an AI camera and, and could record all the action and capture all the stats. And we'd review film with fifth graders. That's how... <laughs> This, this is it. this is how crazy things can get and how next level will try to take it. But I would, if I didn't have to travel all the time and could be home and commit to it, I would I would coach school, you know, middle school or high school level uh, sports and probably basketball. That's crazy. So, high schools out there, middle schools out there, if you're wanting a tech AI driven mega coach, you know, give Jonathan a ring because uh, I guess I shouldn't expect anything less. Yeah. From our robotics. So, okay, let's dive into then this whole topic of robotics. Before we even start, it's really important to us here at Unboxing Logistics that people come away with, you know, real takeaways, things that they can implement into their day-to-day work. What are your key takeaways that you want to share with our audience today? Well, for sure, you need to figure out ways to, to improve your, your four walls process of your warehouse. That doesn't necessarily mean AI and robotics, but in some, some level, you've got to either figure out ways to do things more efficiently, more effectively, and more ergonomically because the labor force is, is tapped and they're maxed out. And, and the, as we continue to increase, um, you know, direct to consumer and e-commerce as a percent of, of overall sales uh, things, it's going to continue to introduce more inefficiencies as you're picking one and two items in order and shipping them to a cul-de-sac in a small little box or a poly bag or whatever the case may be. So you've got to figure out ways that will continue to improve that throughput and that capability and do it with less people. And then again, that could be as simple as going from non-WMS to a WMS. Um, Mm -hmm. That could be you know, going to some level of adding a conveyor belt to somebody that doesn't have a conveyor belt to, uh, you know, material handling equipment and and full-on robotics and sortations and all different things. So just wherever you're at in your journey, you need to go next to the next level of wherever you're at, right? And so and I think that's one. There's always a next level, right? There's I always know. a next level. Awesome. Okay. Did you have another one, Jonathan? I do. And, and, and this is, um, so this is outside of the four walls, but mm-hmm. tied to four walls is really looking at and diversifying your transportation strategy. If, if you're not doing a multi-carrier strategy in 2024, like you are seriously uh, overspending and overpaying and negatively impacting your customer base. And so, um, uh, you know, so my, my suggestion there is if you're tied to one carrier and you're using their shipping software, you should get into the place of a multi-carrier platform and then that can open the door to a second and a third option um, either directly with a carrier or through all the exciting programs that exist like ups dap or Mm -hmm. some of these things where you you maybe sign up with one carrier and use the platforms carrier mix and stuff like that so those are two like if you're at the bottom of the bottom you don't have a wms and you don't have a tms like those would be like 
let, let's do that in 24 type of a thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say with the multi-carrier mix, with today's, you know, everything from geopolitical to natural disasters to, you know, we experienced it in COVID, but um, the risk management element as well. It's not just going to save you a lot of money to make sure you're diversifying, but it can really help with risk management or labor disputes. You know, we've seen that recently. So awesome. Those are great. And I'm going to circle back to them. Um, but before we even move further into that, I want to talk a little bit about robotics specifically. So Tell me about the past of robotics. How did robotics kind of first start getting into the logistics industry? What did it look like 10 years, 20 years, I don't know, 100 years ago? Wherever you want to start, tell me about the past and, and let's talk a little bit about how that's changed. Yeah, you know, they're not new. They're, they've been around, especially industry, maybe not necessarily logistics, but they've been around industry since the early 60s, um, okay. you know, General Motors deployed robotic arms in their in their plants. So, you know, what are we talking 60, 70 years ago? Um, and that wasn't the first robotics, but that's probably like the biggest, like biggest name, biggest mm -hmm. thing, union employment, you know, lots of hours of labor involved in there. And that, you know, for the next 40 years, I don't know that there was any change. It was a what they call a six axis robot. And what that means is it can move in six different ways. And it's got, you know, all the things you see when you go to a trade show and the arms are moving and doing all this different stuff. Um, and that was about precision and doing a repetitive motion task, right? So I would, you know, in that scenario, maybe it was a weld or it was a hold the door for somebody to attach something. And it did one task all day, every day, 24 seven. And, and that was great and it simplified and solved things, but not everybody works in an assembly line and does the same item all day, every day. When you get into logistics, whether it's in a, in a warehouse or into a parcel delivery network, you have a much different rate of speed and you have an exponentially greater amount of variability of, you know, if you think of like a, a an apparel brand as an example, like a mid-size apparel brand is going to have at least 10,000 SKUs. So, and I'm, I'm not talking like a 10 to $20 million a year apparel brand in net in, in top line sales may have up to 10,000 SKUs. And so having a, you know, this, this capability of putting in an automation in there, that for 40 years did one task all day, every day. That's why we didn't see it be adopted. It, one, they're very expensive. And two, it was very precise and, and repetitive. And so, um, so we really, you know, if you fast forward to where we're at in like, you know, the e-commerce and, and distribution landscape, it's like the early 2000 uh, mark with with Kiva was really that next big thing that happened. And what they created was called a goods to person solution. Um, most people may not know that name if they're fairly young because that's now called Amazon Robotics. They got acquired 2011, 12-ish timeframe. Um, and so, so that was like probably innovation one. And tied to Kiva, I think, is maybe innovation two. So I was fortunate enough and lucky enough to work for the first 3PL uh, that used robotics. And that was a company called Quiet Logistics. And yeah. they went to they went in their first deployment. They were the first 3PL to use Kiva Logistics or Kiva, or Kiva Robotics. And so they were using it. And then Amazon and, shut and it down. Jonathan, what did the Kiva do for those people who don't so, know? 
So Kiva is, if you see the video with like a cart moving around a warehouse and going to a person that picks an item out of there, it's taking the shelf to the person instead of the person to the shelf is, is the Okay, so the it's the robotic picking it. element. Okay, but great. the person is still picking. So it's just, a, it's a material handling equipment. It's, 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 you know, normally you walk into a warehouse and it's a fixed position. You have yeah. all these, these shelves and you send somebody or something to this location. Now what you're doing is saying, we ultimately got to get everything out to the shipping station. Move the shelf to shipping is basically what you're doing. Oh, and then somebody would reach okay. in and take an item and then the shelf goes back. And, gotcha. um, and so that's where it started. Well, as a result of Amazon buying that and then decommissioning it for the rest of customers to use, that opened the door for uh, what became Locust Robotics that spun out of, of Quiet Logistics. And so that is then put into motion what is called AMR or Autonomous Mobile Robotics. Again, a material handling equipment, a little bit misnomered, I think, in calling it a robot because all it's doing is moving something from point A to point B. And, and it's more of like a conveyor belt that can go anywhere. So still mm -hmm. super, super, in, uh, you know, innovative and efficient and everything like that. And that's, um, probably an entry way for people to get into robotics. They've had a lot of mass deployments um, because of being able to come into a brownfield environment. But really the last five years or so is where we've seen this explosion of artificial intelligence and what, what we would refer to as full task robotics, where a robot can now do a full task of a person end to end. And now it's not just moving an item around a warehouse to make it a little bit more efficient. It's about now we can displace people out because they can fully do the functionality. So what's happened now in, in AI to go back to the 1960s robot that we talked about with GM is we've now taken human-like skills through artificial intelligence and transferred to this rigid, precise robot that was a six-axis robot. And now we, we all these things we take for granted, like our eyes now called a vision system in the robotics world, and we most of what we need to know to pick something up happens through our eyes, right? We 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 see something, our brain knows. Oh, that's heavy. Bend with your knees. Oh, that's uh, light. You can just pick it up with two fingers. You know all this. So so you take a vision system and you and now you start programming it to to recognize you know all these tens of millions of different items to say this is heavy, this is light, this is this is soft, this is fragile, and that's one. And then now you start introducing. The, with the dexterity, the the hand type stuff that we really take for granted of how soft or hard to grip something, how much force. So now things like sense of touch and force control and motion and, you know, take into account things like swing factor and, and all these things. And so um, that's really been exploding over the last maybe a little bit longer than five years, but really COVID set that thing on fire and lots of investment dollars got into motion. Everybody was dropping out of PhD programs to start companies and trying to figure out, right. Cause you think about it, you know, there was months in 2020 that that people couldn't even report to a warehouse. We were right. shutting States down. And, and then all of a sudden everybody's at home, not working, has extra money, still getting paid, has all this time on their hands and they're buying like crazy warehouses are shut down and, and demands at all time highs. And so people are like, we've got to figure this thing out. And so, now artificial intelligence is transferring the, the human-like skills and now we can do a, a full day's work, so to speak, of a person and we can pick things and we can lift things and we can move things and and we can pack things and, and all these things. And that's really 
where it's starting to get exciting and the, you know, the future is, is now and, and we can really start to impact an operation and start getting closer to this, this dream state of a lights out warehouse. Okay. So, wow. There was so much in that. And I have a few takeaways right off where I'm going to have people saying, Jonathan, you know, you talked about it replacing people. You know, isn't that a problem? What is this going to do for our jobs? What about, you know, we love our labor. And while labor is a constant struggle for us in the logistics industry, a constant, constant, constant struggle. Um, on the flip side, don't we still need people? You know, if I go get all these robotics and I get rid of everybody, you know, what kind of culture is that? Like, how, do, how does robotics fit in with that human element? Well, there's a couple, there's a couple schools of thought there, and there's a couple different ways to, to think about it and look at it. One, every company that's invested in robots has still grown their headcount in people. And so you look at the growth of Amazon, you know, they've got hundreds of thousands of robots, and they have over a million people working in a, in a warehouse environment still. So, um, so we're not seeing it. So the number one thing is, there's parts of the country we just can't get people to show up to work. Like there's just, there's more work than there are people available or that are willing to work. And one, one thing that blew me away is a couple of years ago, I, I got to hear um, one of the CEOs in the express parcel industry, um, you know, share what they see and talking about this post COVID, this 45 to 55 year old group that is a heavy part of all the supply chain and logistics work. Mm -hmm. 10 million of them left the market and are not returning to work in that type of work. And so now 10 million of the key in the right age, you know, all the experience is still sound body, sound mind, all those things not coming back to work. We know the opposite end of that spectrum, the people that should normally replace that, the let's call it 18 to 25 year old crowd, none of them are coming into the warehouse. So we're, we're retiring off and sending off the, the older side of the workforce and not replacing it with the young because they don't want to be in, in the warehouse environment for all kinds of things. So that's one aspect is okay. you, you may have to do it just because you can't get people to show up. And okay. we've seen countless businesses um, uh, have to have to cap their top line sales because they just could not get enough people to do the work that they need to get done. So there, there's a revenue impact to a lot of major businesses just in that alone. Okay, so, so that's one aspect. One, yeah. There's more work than there are people. Yes. Right. So one key takeaway there, there's more work than there are people. This is a problem you feel like is going to be exacerbated as all the boomers hit this retirement stage and, and we have kind of a, a different population. Some of the same questions we have around AI when people say is AI, you know, is that going to steal all of our jobs? But you're saying no, it simply is replacing work that is needed, but we don't have enough people for. And point two. What is the other argument you were saying? So the other side of it is, um, is there's a raising, rising cost and there's a decline in quality of the labor that is showing up. And so okay. that's impacting all this, right? We, we're living in inflation, mm -hmm. um, you know, to, to levels we haven't seen in, you know, 10 to 15 plus years, right? Yeah. And some of us may not have even seen. And so you, you, we can, as consumers, just keep taking double digit cost increases year after year after year. And so now that the the AI and the robotics have gotten to a, a steadier state, I will, you know, it's not superhuman yet, but a steadier state and a little bit more reliability and a lot more capability. It's now there's a tipping point where the cost of labor is now 
surpassing the cost of automation and robotics. And so I think no matter if we're talking about robotics, conveyor belts, whatever, that's always been the argument. As soon as there's an inflection point where I can do something more efficiently and cheaper than than whatever it is, I'm going to invest in it, right? And then we then they start building up a business case and an ROI. So that's that's kind of two of it. Three is there's a, there's a lot of danger in a lot of these jobs. So like if you think about truck loading and unloading and, um, you know, people driving forklifts around and, and all these different things or working in high, high pick environments, um, there's just a lot of safety things in some of that repetitive motions that are poor in ergonomics. And, you know, there, there's people that talked about, you know, folks that load and unload a truck in a, you know, in a warehouse environment will move multiple tons a day. I mean, just think about that multiple tons mm -hmm. a day, who signs up for that and whose body can handle that all day, every day. And so like, Jonathan, in the case I've of been watching, so I just recently moved to Texas and okay. a house across the street from us is being built and it is fully brick. And we have been watching the people throw these massive piles of bricks up floor by floor up to each other, these big old stacks and I said that exactly. Obviously, that's not a warehouse, but it's the same sort. I'm like, my word, their bodies must hurt hour after hour just throwing yeah. these massive bricks up, you know, flights to one another. And it is. I, I can see how if you had some sort of robotic system, so much easier on your body. So anyway. I just thought that no, was no, no, great. I'm glad, and because that there's automation happening there too. Like the, 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 we're seeing it in the trades. Every everywhere you look, there's shortage of labor. There's there's injuries and accidents mm -hmm. and all these different things, right? And so, so now what we do is we get rid of jobs that people aren't showing up for. Okay. People are getting hurt doing, don't want to do, high turnover, um, low morale. And we, we, we automate those functions, and now we displace people into more higher-paying jobs, higher-skilled job, more rewarding jobs that are more of a career base. Like, so if you think about it through the lens in, in my world, we, we don't have a picker in my warehouse. Everything okay. is picked through our robotic stack. And, but I have technicians. I've got, I've got engineers. I've got you know, service people. Like I have all these different things that – there's lots of, there's still people in my building, not nearly the number that we would, we would see, but they're at a much higher, um, you know, capability, requirement, skill, pay, mm -hmm. all those types of things. So even us, as we're, you know, launching, you know, have, have launched our network and tried to build it around our robotic system, um, there's still people involved in um, just at a different level. So we will continue to, to add um, you know, engineers, developers, technicians, all of those types of things to our things, but less of the laborious, painful type of things. And then in between there, most everything has got some form of, of you know, hybrid approach where people and and the systems are able to interact and work together. And, you know, so there's still, there's still manual things that we do in our warehouse and we will probably do for a long time to come that they can do their job and the robots can do their job. And, and so, um, you know, what, what I notice when I walk through a warehouse like ours, um, very quiet, there's no conveyor belts running and banging and clanging. You can, you know, you know, no impacts to your hearing. Um, the, the work that's being done is even the physical stuff is still very ergonomic. It's very, um, you know, I think the, the morale is very high. And, and so, um, that helps us in retention and recruiting and, and all those things. So um, 
you know, for all the people that say that it's killing jobs, just fear mongering, it, it really is. Yeah. It's it's here just like AI, you know, for mm-hmm. other aspects, right? What we do is AI in the robotic space, but even AI and all the chat bots and all the other things we do, they're 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 not. We're not getting rid of the people that are doing all that other work. There's still there's still lots of work to be done. Okay, so my next, I'm like keeping you in the hot seat today. So my next thought is, this sounds super cool, sounds amazing. I love the idea of giving people better, high-paying jobs that they enjoy and they want to stick around, and reducing all those accidents. But Jonathan's is sounding kind of spendy, right? I mean, that's going to be everybody's thought. Like, this seems expensive. So you're saying I'm going to pay people more and I have to get all these robotics. Uh, You know, how do you know when this is a financially viable thing? Do businesses slowly integrate robotics? You know, so question number one, I guess, here on the hot seat, money. Well, you know, how do we justify having that. And then my follow-up question is going to be, um, you know, if you were going to just start, where do you feel like are the big bang for your buck sort of robotic things that you should add that are kind of no-brainers? Yeah. Well, there's, there's one scenario, and this is kind of what we've built, is you can go into, you can outsource. You can go to third-party partners that are investing in the infrastructure but not charging you for that capital upquit, you know, uptake and all the maintenance and know how to run it. It's already deployed. It's, it's suited for your type of product. And so now you can take advantage of that mm. and just pay in a transactional environment for pick pack ship operations. And so um, that's one, one, one aspect of it. Um, two, you can, uh, you, you need to build a business case, right? I think typically there's some type of ROI. So you have to understand what does it really cost you in your current environments? So you need to know, I will say, since I've gotten into robotics in the last couple of years, the, the most technical question that I feel like I've asked or conversation I've been a part of is what do people truly pay fully loaded for their labor? Yeah. It sounds simple, right? Like it seems like it's a no brainer. It's a, it's like a wage thing and a tax thing and maybe a benefits yeah. thing. It's so much more complicated than that because there's there's multiple departments in a, in a big business that get involved with it, right? There's the HR aspect of hiring, recruiting, and turnover. There's the training departments. There's overtime. There is, uh, you know, all the safety IT, insurance. Tech support. IT, yeah. they, they don't account for the supervisory level and the management level. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's also people that are, you know, is, you know, it's gotten very competitive over the years. They might get their tuition reimbursed for going to college. They might they might get a some type of money towards uh, childcare. They might get um, you know some type of perk benefits. They might they might bring in meals every day so that the employees ha- are fed. Um, there's all these things, and so yeah. it it takes a lot of effort to figure out what does the labor really cost them. So that's one is you got to figure out what's the baseline. What is our cost of doing this? Okay, and so then- you guys, community. If you're interested and you're like, okay, I love robotics. I'm a nerd who grew up watching Star Wars and this is my dream. I got to convince the big boss. You got to get that business case. Think about the full range of costs of your employees. Don't just be like, oh, here's my salary. Here's our benefits. This is how much we're doing. Look at it holistically. Love that point of view. Okay, Jonathan, go ahead. Sorry I interrupted you. No, no, please, at any time, stop me. Um, that's a great, great call out. So one, understand the labor. There's other aspects of it. So like, for example, with our solution, um, 
we completely redefined the warehouse. So we got rid of racks, we got rid of aisles, we work vertically um, 30 feet high in all of our buildings. So we shrunk our building down by, you know, 72, 73% the size of my peers in the industry to get the same throughput in terms of volume coming, you know, of units shipped and orders shipped. Um, so if they were going into a new building and I'm now say going from 500,000 square feet to 125,000 square feet, you need to understand what I just do to my, my square footage cost. What did I just do to my electricity and utilities and insurance and all the other stuff? And I think most people look at automation through the lens of labor, 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 cost of labor mm -hmm. versus cost of machine. But if you can add in a another layer of dimension there of I can shrink the building, I can shrink my utilities, I can, you know, all these other things and we can add other layers, that business case starts to get real um real interesting real yeah. fast and starts getting getting a lot more legs to it and um and yeah, I so, want to so say as well I just had to say this it reminded me in talking about the vertical buildings I recently you know sustainability is a huge initiative um in the industry as well as of course just in the world um but I was speaking with a sustainability expert recently and one of their recommendations was exactly that was going vertical in your building size and how that's going to become more and more critical. So kind of a trigger point for you guys out there in the community. If you are looking to switch warehouses, if you are getting a new facility, there are certain times when it makes sense to look into things like robotics. Um, but from your business case, sustainability is also a big element in going vertically. You do um, actually significantly reduce some of your your output by doing that so anyway go ahead jonathan no absolutely and you know if you think about this i don't know how much you pay attention to law in california mm -hmm. especially now that you're further away in dallas <laughs> but there's there's a uh, a bill that's been passed i believe it goes into into effect in 24 that companies doing business in california have to understand their impact to the environment to the third level yep not just what they cause directly, indirectly, and then the third level. Yeah. So um, they're going to actually have to be accountable for it and measure it. And, and, and you'll need to understand all those things. And so uh, my guess is, in at least in the state of California, that there's probably some type of tax credit like we saw yes. with EVs and all that, those other things. So um, it's getting more and more complicated. But we really you know, are, think very much in that regard of mm -hmm. sustainability. That's why we're so excited about shrinking that building so exponentially um, and, and then also regionalizing it. So from people can spread inventory around the country, you know, we on average, when people come into our network, we see about a 550 mile reduction in package travel uh, distance travel. Um, that's real, real impact. I think there's our companies that may even look cost aside and look heavily in the sustainability component yeah. of of these things and start measuring that because of some of the legislation that's starting to trickle down at the state level, like, like I alluded to in California. So Jonathan, which things then, so let's say that you're not doing a tons in terms of robotics or, you know, autonomous things. What, where are some of those no brainer, like, okay, this is a really great ROI, or this is a great first step to kind of be dipping your toes in. If you were creating your own, what would be like a absolute deal breaker you want to have X, Y, or Z? Well, I, I think there are some minimal systems you need to have in a warehouse, okay. regardless of how big or small. So I think you have to have some form of warehouse management and you have to have some form of transportation management. Like those are like bare okay, minimum. I read a study that there was a surprising number. I can't, I'm not going to say the percent because 
I will get it wrong, but there was a surprisingly large percent of warehouses that don't. I have think I read the same thing you're talking about, and I can't remember the number, but it was obnoxiously high. I'm like, there's no I was way like, how is this possible? So yes, please. Step number one, just get a WMS. You need to be looking at the data automation. There's so much out there for you. So great. I think that's great. And the alternative to that is I think there's a there's a strong this year 24 is probably the strongest use case ever in terms of looking to outsource your your fulfillment right because okay why so well a couple things cost of capital is really high right so people that are owning buildings and stuff like that i mean the interest rates and everything like that you can put that money to use somewhere else so yeah. so that, you know sell off that building outsource uh, and do do other things one transportation as you you know you live in this space mm -hmm. The rate of inflation and cost overcrease, you know, and, and it used to be GRIs were once a year. They're like once a week now. Um, I, I mean, really, that's what it feels like. At it least does. In, uh, so, so it's just transportation side of it. And then, um, and then just getting all that, that critical mass and that expertise of all these high level systems. Um, you know, if, if the percent is true of what we talked in that study, mm -hmm. you know, it, it was north of 50%. Yeah. You know, it was too you high. Have, yeah, I should be getting that for sure. Step one, if you haven't done that. Yeah, because you think about all the licenses of WMS and the licenses of TMS and, the, and all those different mm -hmm. things. Like maybe maybe those do get a little bit in your way. But if you go into somebody that's that's part of their core business, you're going to get all of those things. You're going to get multi-carrier rate shopping. You're going to get new age technology and automation that's going to continue to to you know iterate and innovate. Um, because really, even in our even in our world, when we deploy a feature it's already like too late. Like the, the rate of change is yes, so great. Yes. Like, so we're constantly iterating and doing things and we're a tech company that has an operations department. Imagine if you have none of those things and mm -hmm. like, and you spent two years trying to figure out which WMS to buy. By the time you've deployed that WMS, you've already got the wrong WMS. Like it really like, <laughs> I mean, it's really kind of the rate of things that, that's happening. Yeah, I, I spoke recently, a really interesting guest um, talking about product and they shared that very, you know, sometimes you got to go for the quick wins because with how quickly things evolve, um, when you do hold off for several years, you know, by the time you get it implemented, it is out of date. And even in the sustainability field, we talked about, you know, don't lock into five-year contracts on your fuel because five years from now, there may be something better out there. And so it is a little bit of, you know, just take a little step, get in the door a little bit. Um, tell me, we're, we're running a little low on time, so I want to make sure I hear your predictions for future of robotics. Um, and by the way, I do want to say, okay, this is not even any sort of, this is going to be a shout out for Nimble. Um, your website's so fun to look at because you have fully automated 3PLs. It like kind of blows my mind. So. I would say go onto their website and look at it because you could just see the robots going everywhere. The vast majority of you are probably not at that place where you're going to have a fully automated 3PL, but it is crazy because I see those kind of future things. So is that what you're seeing is coming, Jonathan? Are, are we going to continue? Do you feel like we're going to get more hybrid? What are your predictions? Jonathan Briggs predicts the future of robotics right here, everybody. Let's hear it. Well, I, and I'll just do it through the lens of, of the strategy and roadmap that I own in our business. And, okay. and I think this will be, you know, cover a lot of bases, right? So we've solved picking to date and we've solved building size, storage density, all those things. So then 
we've got a roadmap. We we've now have deployed um, robotic packout. So we've got a, a product profile that if it's just, you know, soft goods going into a poly bag, we can pick through ship without a person touching that, uh, that product. So pick um, through we can, ship without ever a person touching. That's, crazy. that's it. And so, cause it'll go into an auto bag. It, it self labels right out of our TMS and then it self seals and then it goes out of chute and it's, it's waiting for the carrier to come pick it up. So um, we will continue to invest in, in improve that capability to where we can get less and less people at pack out. Then we go from there, we're doing robotic sortation for the parcel carriers. I want, um, you know, we, we need, the more that we can take work out of parcel carriers, the more you can your cost. Cause they, they really want you to do more, more stuff for them, right? And if you can do it cheaper than they can do it, they'll give you a discount for it. So sorting beyond you know, which, you know, car you know, carrier and service level, you know, get into zip codes and states and regions and do some. So, so we'll do some robotic sortation, um, trailer loading and unloadings on the docket for us oh. so we get people off. That's where most of my personnel sits on the dock between receiving, packing and shipping. That That's where yeah. our head count is today. And so, um, and then from there, we're, as I said, we're, you know, we kind of rebranded the name of being uh, autonomous industries. Um, we think we have a vision of being a fully autonomous company, and that means it's outside of the four walls. So we've got scenarios that will go into trucks and trailers and things of that nature, and we will do things in autonomous delivery where they'll be sorting on the road and picking on the road and delivering uh, without a person being in the truck. So that's the long, the long range view of when I, and I'm just looking through my roadmap of our own mm -hmm. business, um, you know, of what we're doing there. And so ultimately it gets as close as you can be with that. You know, everybody talks about the lights out warehouse. I don't think we're getting rid of lights and lighting and warehouses. I think you still, and I talked about, we got to service the machines and we've mm. got to, we still need people to do certain tasks and, re, and inspections and so on and so forth. But we will have very, very few people doing the pick pack ship operations in our business in the, in just a matter of a couple of years. That is awesome. That's so incredible to even think like the Jetsons were finally coming. Maybe we'll see. We're all still waiting for that. But, um, I love your takeaway from the beginning that just pick one thing, look at your warehouse, look at your um, processes. What can you do to automate just one step further than what you're doing right now? Um, everybody can do it. Take an inventory. Just know that this is an area that's sticking around and is really cool and is really going to be critical. You know, we're not going to be able to just use paper and spreadsheets and walking around and doing everything manually forever if we want to keep up. So really, really neat. It has been so great having you here today, Jonathan. Is there anything else, any other final comments you want to make? Um, or is there anywhere that people could connect with you if they want to follow you? Yeah, please. Uh, you know, I, I love talking shop. So even if it's not a scenario, you know, to sell something or anything, I just love talking, uh, you know, about the industry and stuff like that. So for sure, reach out. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, look me up on there. 
you can go to our website that you alluded to, nimble.ai. It's that simple. There's a contact us form in there. That'll flow into me and my team. Um, but for sure, reach out, have conversations, explore what's out there. We, are, by far, I think, are the greatest uh, secret in supply chain right now. And, um, you know, we, we lived in stealth for tw through 20, most of 23 with this little secret network we've been building. But this year, we really, you know, we want to fill the buildings. And so, uh, you know, I, we're probably not in your RFP led, um, you know, led by a consultant because the consultants don't know what we're doing. So definitely reach out, have a conversation and, you know, let, let's chat for sure. Yep. I love it. Again, Jonathan, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, it, was, it was a ton of fun and I can't wait to, to see it in, in the real world. Awesome. And we'll see you guys all next time.